Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Ask Anything presented by Mosier Consulting. I'm your host, Angel Leon, Mosier's HR advisor. This week, we're bringing you part two of our conversation with Liesl Murtis on workplace empathy. We hope you enjoyed our first part, which aired last week. Without further ado, here's part two of my conversation with Liesl Murtis on workplace empathy. So I, I, I have to ask, how is empathy linked to productivity? Well, it's a great question. Let's begin with just the desire of the workforce, especially since we're dealing with the great, you know, resignation as it's hard across industries to attract and retain people. Mm -hmm. This is more and more like it's tied to uh, millennials solidly being, you know, a middle-aged workforce and younger generations coming up. It's tied to the pandemic, but people want more empathy at work. And there are data gathering organizations who have been asking about this for the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. So um, Business Solver, their Empathy at Work survey has some really tremendous data points. 82% of respondents in 2000 said that they um, would switch jobs for increased empathy. 78% directly linked the presence or absence of empathy to their productivity. You know, like all mm -hmm. work better if they show me more empathy. Interestingly enough, only 50% of CEOs agreed with that, which shows that there's a disconnect between what people are saying they want and what leadership is giving them. But let's look like even towards, okay, so, so maybe, maybe this will help you attract or retain. You might be thinking it will, it definitely will, but let's talk about how it actually affects the bottom line. So the Grief Recovery Institute did a survey. It was a long time ago now. It was in early 2000s. But they were looking across industries, like what is the dollar-related loss to American companies because of grief-related instances? This includes death. It also included a divorce or the loss of a pet. Like it was really wide-ranging. And adjusted for current inflation, um, that number is over $100 billion of lost revenue to American wow. businesses. And that is related to increased sick days that are taken the phenomenon of presenteeism where I'm clocking in, but like my brain literally can't yeah. focus on it. Even looking like they looked at a number of different sectors, heavy machinery, like people are making more mistakes and errors. Uh, and the final part of this like picture to give a high level view is that the presence or absence of empathy actually affects our brain connectivity. Um, we have two hemispheres. Well, we have a number of parts of the brain. But for this example, you have your lower um, brain, like your cerebral cortex. This is where we talk about the, the fight or flight mm -hmm. you know, mechanisms that come into play. And then you have the prefrontal lobes, which they are where more of our rational thought or sending nuanced emails with lots of bullet points comes from. And the goal is a free flow of information between this instinctual part and this rational part. And when we are stressed out and overwhelmed, like that free flow of information stops. You're only in this like emotive fear-based place, but actually, so how empathy comes into play is we have these mirror neurons in our brains that scientists studying primates actually discovered a little over 30 years ago. And that when those mirror neurons are activated, whether that's by somebody else's stressed out state or by somebody else's calm state, it actually helps move our brains into a parallel state. So if someone is overwhelmed, 
super sad, emotionally flooded, the presence of your calm and identification actually activates those mirror neurons and helps them. So I talk about survive, stabilize, thrive. It helps them stabilize. It helps return that free flow of information. You can't just demand that they immediately get back to those prefrontal lobes, like write good emails and lead a good meeting when you're feeling totally overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. But if you show them empathy and care and like, hey, it's going to be okay with your tone, with your words, like that actually activates their brain to do it on its own. So those are some of the pieces of how it affects productivity. It's very interesting. Everything that you mentioned uh, from the, the surveys of empathy, of people wanting more empathy and unfortunately having leadership that does not see that as a valuable asset to have. Because I, I oftentimes go back to my time as a manager, and, and I don't mean to go often to that, but that was one of the things that I always told the people I, I manage is that I'm here for you. I'm not I'm not this overarching know-it-all person. I need, I'm, I am going to guide you, yes, but I need your guidance because you guys are driving my team mm-hmm. and the success that we have is the success that you have. And whenever, you know, I, I, had, I had instances where people lost parents, where people lost uh, siblings, et cetera. And I'm using loss because that's, I think that's one of the most powerful um, situations that anybody can face in their lives and then having to come to work and just face those instances in an environment where, you know, we didn't operate like, like you were mentioning heavy machinery or anything like that, but we still had to have processes done and we still had to have stuff that needed, you know, we needed to go from point A to point B and along the way, if there was a hiccup, then somebody might, might be, get upset. I mean, especially in the HR world where if you're bringing somebody in and you don't fill out all their paperwork uh, correctly and then they get the wrong insurance, then that's, you know, that's oh, yeah. a, that makes, that makes people mad. Yeah. Yeah. That's a big issue. But um, I always told my people that if they had an experience like that, where they lost somebody that I, you know, we work was here, we were going to handle it, that they needed to step away, um, you know, for their own good, so that they could take time to process however they wanted to process the grief. Now, the old cliche is, no, I'm strong. I can be here. Work actually takes my grief away. It takes everything that you mentioned is true. When we are in a state of grief, to continue using that example, that doesn't necessarily become true because your grief is still there. Anything can trigger it. I mean, loss of a pet, loss of a loved one, is something that is going to come up at some point during your workday that it's going to trigger that sadness. And then it's going to, whatever thing you were doing in front of you, it's going to just stop. Yeah. And, and so I, I, I feel like everything you said, it's just, it's just I, I lived it. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, anybody who is, who has been around the block in management, like mm-hmm. they know these moments and they know where they've done it well and they know where they just intuit that it could have been different, but they they really weren't trained or skilled in it. Like I experienced this profound personal loss, which helped launch me into this work. I had a daughter die in the middle of my first semester of an MBA program. So uh, I'm the mother of five children, four of whom are living. 
And Mercy Joan died after just eight days of life. Um, profoundly, so hard. And in the midst of it being so hard, I also had like even going through it, this meta level reflection of like, how am I in a whole expensive master's degree program that is all about managing people and we're not spending five minutes of a single class session talking about this. Um, I, I really am glad to be on a leading edge of training and equipping and re-equipping managers. And I hope that five, 10 years from now, like there are whole classes, there are whole robust discussions that are going on to help the next generation managers. Um, because any, like, this is going to happen in the lives of your people. Guaranteed, they're going to have disruptive life events. And they're not always bad. I mean, we've talked about death. Like, you've had a disruptive life event. A new baby is a disruptive life event, albeit a joyful one. Um, relationship transitions, you know, miscarriage, infertility, like, all kinds of things. Um, it's always been coin of the realm, but even more so as we're in the midst of the pandemic. Yeah. And well, first of all, I'm terribly sorry to hear about your loss that I, I now to bring the empathy side, I can't imagine what that feels like. Cause I honestly, I've obviously never experienced it, but um, it just saddens me to hear that very much. Um, Thank you. And you, you bring up a point about how it's, it's going to happen. It's already happening in my eyes. I think it's always been happening. It's just that we, you know, in the, in our business world, I just don't think that it really got the attention that it really deserved um, because many other things were happening and, and you can pile on the excuses, but the pandemic brought up, as we were mentioning before, just so many things to the surface that now people are seeing as important that they're realizing and recognizing what really is important to them beyond just coming to work and earning a paycheck and paying their bills, et cetera. That, that all is still important. I don't, anybody that's listening, don't take me wrong. Um, but a lot of people realize that, hey, maybe being at home and spending time with your kids, which are a significant other, or maybe that that's actually very fruitful. That brings out uh, some of the best in us. I know that sometimes our kids can drive us insane. That's not, that's, that's, uh, you can probably I'll attest to it. that. It's not just my kids. Yes. <laughs> but, um, but think about it. I mean, I, I never thought about, uh, especially before the pandemic, I never thought about being here every day whenever my son's school uh, went uh, back open and he would go to school. I never thought about actually just walking to, because I live in a cul-de-sac, walking to the end of the street to pick him up from the bus stop every single day and just coming, having that connection. Because um, before then, it would just come after the work day because I would go pick him up at daycare. And then, you know, we all live busy lives. But the fact that I was able to walk out to the end of my street, have that connection right then, ask him how his day went, or he would come out of the bus and tell me the first thing that came out of, you know, out of his mind. And so that would then drive basically the rest of the day. Um, but those things, those unnatural things that weren't happening before, because we all had these scheduled lives where we went to work, brought, you know, took the kids to school, went to work, go, go get the kids from daycare, bring them home, cook, get them ready for the next day, et cetera. Now all of a sudden that all just got 
scramble. And yeah. so everything just kind of just went to the side. And now you're having these experiences that maybe you wouldn't have if, if life were still the same way it was before 18, right. 19 months ago. Well, and it's, it's the pandemic. Another thing that I always want to bring into the conversation about disruptive life events in the workplace is also that like we're in the thick of an ongoing racial reckoning in the United mm. States, like mm -hmm. protests in the streets, uh, people like elevating the profile and the importance of saying for black, for brown, for Asian Americans, that like, we have experiences that you are not aware of and they're actually really hard to swallow or they're toxic or they're deeply offensive. Like that's an important conversation to have. And there's all kinds of baggage that people are bringing. And I am, I'm not specifically a diversity, equity and inclusion trainer, but conversations about empathy, like, okay, can we move into hard conversations or are we always backpedaling? Are we bringing our bad habits of like, you just need to feel better or mm -hmm. a commiserating Candace, who's another type um, commiserating Candace always has his or her own hard story. Like, Oh, on hell, you want to tell me something difficult that happened? I've experienced something just like that. Let me like, you know, people from minority cultures, they're getting this sort of empathy miss all the time. And so mm -hmm. there've been a couple of different factors that are causing they're causing pain points, but they're not just pain points. They're also opportunities to live into some of our best selves, to like work on these bad habits, to work on these like backwards ways of communicating and to not just say, oh, I never want to talk about these things. Can they just go away? Please don't ask this of me. This has never been asked of me in my working life. Like, I just want things to go back to the way they were. To instead be like, you know what? This is a great opportunity to be you know, even at a place like Mosier, a workplace of choice, like you guys get those distinctions and that kind of things all the time. And to just keep leveling up, like in this area too, we want to keep being a workplace of choice. We know how to embrace hard conversations and not have them just consistently blow up in our faces. Yeah, no, I agree with everything you said that obviously the events of last summer, last year, it just brought a lot of more emotions to light. Um, and as a Hispanic myself, I mean, that, that I can definitely uh, relate to everything you said. And so that actually segues nicely into one of my last questions. And that is, how can we create a culture of caring for one another when we're all essentially remote right now? Yeah, it's more complicated, isn't it? I mean, we're mm -hmm. all grappling with that. Let me, um, because it's a big question. Let me give just some really actionable tips. This isn't everything. Um, one that's really basic is uh, body language over Zoom is huge. Um, the importance of affirmative noises to people. Mm -hmm. Ah, okay. Like leaning in. If I am leaning in, if I am nodding, it shows that I'm listening. Um, even sometimes in sales conversations, I'll be taking like notes. I have this little notebook that I love, but I always tell people that I'm taking notes because all they can see is me looking off yeah. stage left. And they don't know if I'm like checking Facebook about some high school boyfriend who's on, you know, a trip to Aruba <laughs> and just wanting to see if he's put on weight or, you know, they don't know. So thinking about your online presence and posture, um, a great basic way to start is also think about how, how do you start meetings? Um, are you just jumping right into work? 
or do you budget in the time? I, I tell people to do stoplight check-ins. What, so it would sound like this, Brian, what sort of energy are you bringing on hell? What sort of energy are you bringing today? Are you red? Like I'm present, but I'm actually like, it's hard for me right now. Are you yellow? You're here, but with some reservations, are you green? You're fired up. You're ready to go. Lunch was great set. And you don't have to force people to elaborate on that if they don't want to allow the space for them if they do, but it also gives you great information to follow up on later. If somebody is red and you're the leader, even if you're not the leader, maybe circle back and say, Hey, I, I noticed you're red today. Is there anything you want to talk about? Anything I can help with? So that's again, and, and what that does, it throws some sharp elbows to show there is space to talk about these kinds of things at work. Um, two other, like, this is not the totality of it, but these are just great things to remember because I hear it again and again in my consulting. Do not say take all the time you need if someone needs to take time off. First and foremost, because it is a lie, you don't mean it. Um, if someone really needed two years to recover, you will not give them that much time. And what it does is it introduces ambiguity to whoever's reporting to you because they know you don't mean it, but they don't quite know how much time they actually do have. So then mm -hmm. they're like second guessing themselves. And when do I need to get back with them? Like, is a week too long? Is three days too long? It's taking their mental space. Instead, lead as a leader, know how much time you can give in like good conscience for the next 72 hours, do not check your phone. Do not check email. Let's touch base again then. And we'll talk about next steps. That can also buy you time to like check with HR, check about policies, think mm -hmm. it like it's helpful to you. And it allows them to fully inhabit the rest you want to give. So don't say take all the time you need. One more. Um, don't say, let me know if there's anything I can do to help. Um, that again is like very well-intentioned. But when someone's going through something hard, when their marriage is falling apart, they don't have that much extra mental space to think, okay, what thing could I have you do? Or maybe they do. And, but what if they ask you to do something you hate? Like, what if they say, can you feed my cats? And you hate cats and you don't want to feed their cats. <laughs> Instead, think about like, what are some things that you can specifically offer within your purview? And if you're a manager, think about, like reallocating work. That's a primary way managers can care for people. But think about things like, hey, I'm going to Costco later on. Can I pick up some snacks for you and your kids? Because I know you're driving back and forth to the hospital. I'm already getting squeezable applesauce for my kids. Or, hey, I'm getting Grubhub tonight. Can I just order you from your like favorite place? And then don't be offended if they say no, or if they say they don't want it, like you have put it out there don't be afraid to put it out there again. But that's so much more actionable and tangible than just let me know maybe sometime if there's anything I can do to help. What that does is that makes you feel good. It rarely translates into something that actually helps the other person. Yeah, no, absolutely. That All of those things that you mentioned are things that we do um, or we used to do in in a manner that was just, you know, sometimes you do it because you think it's it's not offensive you're trying to hold you know put out the hand just to give somebody that that help but be more direct be more specific it's basically uh what it comes down to and as you were mentioning if you're a manager if you're listening to this be more direct like like uh, lisa was was saying if you're offering somebody time off don't say 
take all the time you need because you know you won't be able to give PTO for two years. Um, so just offer, you know, a week, 72 hours, maybe three, four days. If it's if it's something that happens on a Wednesday, offer the rest of the week off so that they can then just take those days plus the weekend and maybe come back uh, on Monday. But yeah, no, I, I agree with those things. So could, could I throw in one yeah. thing at this moment? Um, sometimes like if we were talking in a, in a group facilitation or over coffee, like I can see it in people's faces, there are these moments where, so for listeners, maybe they're listening and they're like, oh no, I have been that person. Like I totally, like somebody shared with me and I just jumped right into fix it mode or I, I didn't care for someone like we can have a backward glance, like ways in which we have not been how we would have wanted to be or how we've come up. Those are good moments of awareness. And I just encourage any listeners, if you're having that moment of like, oh no, I did that last week. That stinks. Apologies are super powerful. Um, I teach this stuff. I am not perfect in it. I do the apology thing all the time. And it sounds like this. Um, you know, I, I can think even with an extended family member of something I've had to do within the last six months. I said, you know what? I really was not supportive of you during that hard season that you and your husband were having. I didn't check in with you the way I would have wanted to. And I realized like, I didn't show you the care I would have liked to. And I'm sorry about that. I wish that that was different. And next time, you know, something like that comes up again, I really want to do it differently. That sort of declaration of intention and also owning your stuff is really powerful, especially within work settings. So don't be afraid to circle back. It's always meaningful. Absolutely. I agree. I've, I've had many instances where I've had managers actually come to me um, and do exactly what you just did uh, because a, they didn't, they didn't feel like they should inform HR or that I, I didn't feel like this would move up to a level of HR. So I apologize in advance. And that, that's something that to me, it's very powerful because it does, it does mean that they, they might've just had a slight, you know, slight of hand. Maybe they just missed the opportunity to come in and kind of brief us on it. But it is very, it is a very powerful thing. Um, and it works both ways. Um, if you're, if you're the individual with the issue and you maybe neglected to go to your leader or neglected to go to the person you trust the most, maybe. Uh, and, and I'm talking the workplace specifically, this can move out of the workplace into your family, et cetera, I'm sure. But um, in the workplace, if you're, if you've neglected and you've maybe shown a little bit of an attitude a little bit of a, you know, condescending tone and, and somebody Mary over there, that's your best friend. She probably noticed it and she hasn't said anything because, Hey, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe Lori's having a bad day. And so I'm Mary sitting over here, not thinking about what Lori's going on, but then Lori finally decides to speak. Um, so it, it does go both ways. Those apologies. So I guess you got to answer my last question was, which was how can we become more empathetic towards others in our daily lives? Remember that you don't have to fix people in their mm -hmm. sadness or grief that sidelines people a lot. They think, what can I say to make it better? There's nothing I can say to make it better. So we move away from it. Um, remember that something is better than nothing. You won't be perfect in this. Mm -hmm. Like I get paid to teach it and I am not perfect in it. Um, so be okay with that. Like don't expect perfection. 
be making repairs and, and think about some of those practical things. How are you starting meetings? How are you out? Oh, here's, here's a final note. Um, empathy shows up or it doesn't show up in your calendar, especially, you know, depending on when you're listening to this, uh, the holidays are coming up. This is going to be a hard time for a number of people, people who it doesn't have to be a death. Maybe there has been a separation this year. Maybe mm-hmm. um, there are people that they're no longer talking to because of the political context and that set, you know, all kinds of things. Um, what that means, what I do, keep a running list around Thanksgiving, week of Thanksgiving, week of Christmas, of people you just want to touch base with. Send a text. Hey, I know this could be a hard time of year. I just want to let you know I'm thinking of you and want to support you. Um, those things are like, man, they're so powerful. So don't neglect your calendar. If you know somebody's gone through something hard, maybe you do a great job the first day, immediately put in your calendar like one week from now that you just want to check in, you know, send them a text, send them an email. So uh, work on displaying that intention in your calendar. And just know again, like this is one of the most exciting, powerful leadership capacities that we are giving attention, data, and training um, towards. And it's a great way for you to grow as a leader and as a teammate. Absolutely. That's great, great advice. Always check in on those who you haven't spoken with, especially for a very long time. And take that time, especially during the holidays, to make sure that you're checking in on them. Because again, you don't know what that person might be uh, going through. And if you haven't checked in with them for a very long time, then could be a good time. Or even just now, just pick up the phone. Send us um, a text. So, Lisa, I have a, uh, three questions that I always ask my guests uh, that are coming on. So the first question is, is, what's a commonly held belief about your expertise that you passionately disagree with? The empathy is just a personality trait that some people have and some people don't. And that's just the way it is. Um, I really disagree with that because I feel like it keeps us from developing a really essential transformative and deeply human aspect of what it is and what we bring to work. Yes, some people do this more naturally and with more ease than others, but everybody can get better at it. And it really does impact your people and your bottom line. Yes, I feel that connections are made no matter what, whether you have it or not. If you make a connection with somebody, I feel like you can just take that and run with it and, you know, be emphasize with somebody, just be there for somebody if you make that connection. And even if you don't, I still think that you can offer up those, those feelings, those, those sentiments so that they can feel comfortable with you. And maybe as we were talking before, maybe if they're not up to the, the opening session, if you will, then maybe that'll at least give them something to think about in the future. So what's something that everyone in your industry space should start or stop doing? Well, I'm in such uh, an exciting and uh, growing, like like we are a small but mighty uh, group of practitioners. So I don't know if we've quite had the longevity to make deeply entrenched errors. Um, hmm. or, or what about something that they should continue doing that you think is successful? I think that we should continue raising the profile on human connection and um Empathy in the workplace, you know, um, there are other people who are doing work on vulnerability and shame, and they're not all the same, but it's super important. And we should do that in a way that doesn't shame companies, but meets them where they are, 
Like we're all at a particular place in our company cultures and we can all be improving. Um, but to welcome and give tools to people right where they are. You know, not everybody is a best place to work yet, but everybody can get better at it. I agree. And lastly, when you first started in your expertise, what was harder than you expected? Oh, finding confidence in my own voice and value. I think that anybody who's started on uh, an entrepreneurial journey, well, I mean, I can't speak for everybody. Many people that I've talked to, like you have, you have this idea and I was doing market research and I was having all of these focus groups and I was so excited about it. And the thought that somebody might actually pay me for it was like so out in left field. So I was, I was just helping um, somebody who is a couple of years behind me in, in a different area. But I, I was talking just this morning and I was remembering like, oh my gosh, there's a time when I was doing this that like, if you gave me like a $20 Starbucks gift card and were willing <laughs> to tell me that I was doing a good job, I would be like, yes, this is the best thing ever. So um, realizing... Yeah, just realizing the importance of pricing, realizing the importance of knowing your value and being able to communicate that. I think that's an essential skill of any business. But um, when you're just beginning as a consultant, that can sometimes involve a lot more personal work and a personal journey. So, but, you know, doing, doing the work to know yourself better is always worthwhile. And, and that ties into, you can feel free to edit this out, but something that uh, I also feel like is really important right now. Like we talk about EAP programs or we talk about support in the workplace. And a lot of times like those, those programs are being utilized more. They're still so underutilized because there's all sorts of defense mechanisms that we have about the type of people that go to counseling and thinking that we have to be, we, me, you have to be on the edge of like a total emotional collapse to validate going to counseling. Like the EAP, it is confidential. Your HR person and your manager do not know what you talk about. So many people are using it as someone who has benefited from personal counseling, from grief counseling, from marriage counseling, multiple times marriage counseling. It's why I still like my husband. Um, <laughs> man, it's like the healthiest people you know are going into their stuff in counseling and it will make you a better person in your household, it will make you a better person on your team. And maybe this is just like the moment to nudge you closer, but like, you don't have to wait until your whole world is falling apart. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, to that point, kind of look at it as basic maintenance on your car. My car is running fine. After the set number of thousand miles, I'm still getting the oil changed. Yes. That will exactly. help it continue. Yes. Run fine. This is, this is something that I have posted about. Like we give more care to our vehicles. And yeah, just to ourselves. Yeah, it's, it's, it's basic maintenance that prevents right. further, more complicated, far more costly uh, interventions being required later. 100%. Yeah. No, these, these are conversations that, I mean, I work in HR, obviously. So these are conversations that I'm oftentimes having with a lot of people about, um, taking away the stigma of EAP programs, of the help that they offer, because they are there to help you. I can't tell you the number of times that um, I've had a conversation with somebody and I've offered up our services, which as you mentioned, they're confidential. I don't even know that you're talking with somebody or when or where I, I have no, once I release you into that world, 
It is you and the individual. That is it. I, as an HR uh, individual, have no clue. And yet I still get so much pushback um, because it is a stigmatized. um, And I hate to use that word, but I feel like it is. It is something that people just don't see as a valuable resource. Um, Because like Brian was saying, I mean, you you go take your car every 5,000 miles to the shop to make sure that it runs. Why can't you just take yourself to a conversation with somebody that doesn't know you, that just wants to listen to you and provide you with resources to ail whatever it is that you're hurting in, especially in in those, those feelings and those uh, issues, personal issues that a lot of people have. Yes. It might not be resolved with one conversation. They might need more time, but the fact that you're taking that first step that that just it should take off a huge weight off your shoulders yeah and and if it feels scary if it feels like a lot sometimes it is and it's still worth doing and the great Mm -hmm. news is it doesn't have to be expensive that's sometimes a sticking you know factor for people like sometimes it's totally free depending on your eap program Mm -hmm. because they know the same way that people invest in preventative health like you get that free doctor's visit Two dental visits, like it's a good investment. Yes, do it. So Liesl, it has been wonderful to have you with us on Ask Anything. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you're interested in Liesl's work, you can check out our podcast, Handle with Care, Empathy at Work, which is available wherever you get your podcasts and on her website, lieselmurdies.com. Thank you for listening into this week's edition of Ask Anything presented by Mosher Consulting. We hope you enjoyed listening to part two of our conversation about empathy in the workplace with Liesl Murtis. Join us next week when we continue to dive deeper with our resident experts and what they're currently working on. And remember, if you have an idea or a topic you'd like us to explore, please reach out to us through our social media channels. In the meantime, please remember to give us a rating and subscribe to our feed wherever you get your podcasts. Until then, so long, everybody. Oh